Praise the Lord. Well, I've been going through some challenges, challenging situations in my life recently, and um, I was really just kind of contemplating different things, and uh, I just started thinking about times in life when we go through difficult situations, and it just feels like everything's coming at you from all sides. And am I the only one who feels that way? <laughs> you just feel like, okay, now it's this thing, and now it's this thing, and now it's this thing, and I got two other things, and then I go to work, and I got 20 things to deal with there. Sometimes I don't know what's up and what's down, right? Have you ever felt that way? And I don't know what I know. I don't even know what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know. And I've had that before, and I've kind of gone through situations like that recently with a lot of what's been going on in, in life and in work and everything else. And I was just like, I don't even know what I know. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, but I want to talk about a situation today where a, a gentleman is faced with something and he's getting pounded from all sides. And he, he says this phrase, and in John chapter 9, verse 25, and this man says, whether he be a sinner or not, I know not. One thing I know, that where I was blind, now I see. The only thing that this man knows at the beginning is that he's blind, born blind. We're going to get into this throughout the, the message today. Born blind. And then some guy called Jesus spits on the ground and makes clay, and he says, now I can see. And a whole chaos of controversy happens in this city because of this event, because of Jesus, because it was done on the Sabbath, because it was notable. There was no way anyone could repute or re re dispute anything that happened. So there's controversy everywhere. And he says, well, I don't, all I know is yesterday I couldn't see, and today I can. <clears throat> and he goes from calling this man called Jesus, and then he says well, later on, he says, well, he's a prophet. Must be. And they say, well, he's a sinner. And he goes, well, if he's a sinner, then he couldn't have done what he did, so surely he must be a man of God. And then later on, he's confronted by Jesus, and he says, no, no, you're the, not just a man of God. You're not just a prophet. You're not just some guy called Jesus. You're the son of God, and I believe in you. And we see this in one event where he's literally getting pounded by the Pharisees, ex expelled from the, from the synagogue, not able to go back. And then he gets this highest revelation. And this man who's born blind, by the end of the story, not only sees physically, but his eyes are open spiritually to the son of the living God. And we have these Pharisees, the contrast, as Jesus always did. The Pharisees who are enlightened religiously, spiritually, they can see with their own natural eyes. And at the end of it, Jesus says, you're blind. You're as blind as this guy was at the beginning of the day. You're blind spiritually. So what an amazing story. And it's John chapter 9. We see his progression. We're going to start with we got three basic parts. We've got the cure, we've got the controversy, and then we've got the confession. So we're going to start by reading verses nine, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. 
This is a familiar story to all of us, so we're going to skim through the verses because there's a lot of them. But he passed by Jesus and saw this man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit in the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, Go wash in this pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. First thing I want to point out is this assumption that the disciples made kind of in line with what they probably would have been taught through the, through the, the church, through, the, through, the, through their beliefs. Who sinned? Did his parents sin? Did he sin? Something bad must have happened so that he was born blind. And Jesus says, no, no, no. And this is based on Exodus, where it talks about visiting iniquities from one parent to the third and sometimes fourth generation. They brought in an assumption that if something was wrong with you, you must have sinned. Jesus even said to the man a few chapters earlier, he says, after he heals him, he says, now go and sin no more. So there are certain times when clearly that must be the case. Even Job's friend says, buddy, you did something wrong. You better fix it because clearly you're going through, through it and you must have done something. Even his wife said, you might as well just curse God and die and get it over with. So it wasn't, it wasn't that far-fetched to think that way, but what Jesus was trying to point out here is that's not a universal principle. Some things in Scripture are universal. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died and was resurrection and rose again. That is universal. In, you can't argue that. But some things are not a universal truth. And just because someone is sick or going through a challenging time, it doesn't mean that they've done some sort of egregious sin. It might just be, as Jesus said here, that God might be glorified in the healing. And we, we know that we're coming into days where things like healings and miracles and signs and wonders are going to increase. We've already had some, and I'm sure we're going to see more. But in order for that to happen, people have to be sick, right? If someone's going to be risen from the dead, that means what? Does anybody want to volunteer for that job? <laughs> sure, if it's a guarantee that I'm going to come back, maybe. I don't know. But bad things can happen so that God can be glorified. We see even Paul seeking the Lord for an infirmity of some sort. He says up to three different times in 2 Corinthians, and, and the Lord says, no, I'm not going to heal you. Not that I could be glorified, but that, so you won't be lifted up in pride. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I'm leaving this infirmity here so that you won't be lifted up in pride. And then he says, my grace is sufficient for you. 12, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. For my strength or my power is made perfect in weakness. Interesting. Sometimes sickness or infirmity can come to keep us grounded, if you will. 
And that's a hard one to accept because you're like, well, I how, how do I know that that's what I would do? Well, so you just have to trust the Lord that he's doing it the right thing. And he says, my grace, my strength, my enabling power is made perfect when you are weak. And therefore, Paul immediately appropriates that grace and says, okay, then I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, okay, this is here for a reason. God explained it to me. I asked him to free me or deliver me. I know that he can. He says, no. Okay, then I glory in my weakness. Wow, what a quick transformation there, right? So think about it. We have to understand what the infirmity or what the challenge or what the difficult situation, where it's coming from, what the source is. And a lot of times you get so overwhelmed with, I don't know what side is up and down and what is coming in or coming out. And you can get so overwhelmed with that that you don't focus on, wait a minute, where's this coming from? What is happening here? And you have to do it. We, we do it all the time in my work where we have a problem with a production system or something's wrong and breaking things. And everybody starts, well, let's try this fix. Let's try this fix. Let's try this fix. And everybody, by putting in a bunch of fixes, you actually break more things than you're fixing. And so there's... There are people, it's, it's not my job to do this, but there are people who, whose jobs are to step in and say, whoa, whoa, everybody stop doing what you're doing. Let's figure out what's broken and then we'll get a fix for it. So that, that methodology of thinking through something and not, not analyzing it with their own rational mind, but saying, okay, Lord, where's this coming from? What's happening here? And applying it to say, okay, is this something that... I'm going to deal with for a while and I just need your grace? Or is this something that is going to glorify you? Or if I've sinned, let's fix that right away, right? If this is a result of my sin and I'm reaping what I'm sowing, okay, let's fix that right away and, and just kind of apply. So it's not a universal truth. And I, I believe this is one of, the, one of the principal reasons, and there's others, for why this is in here. You know, and Peter even says, and we won't read it, but where he says, if you're if you're struggling or in a tribulation for, for the cause of Christ, then rejoice. If you're struggling because you've sinned, don't rejoice, fix the sin, right? He says it in 1 Peter chapter 4. So we can look through things because we're humans. We can be pretty myopic about it when we could say, well, it's just affecting me right now. But what's the long-term benefit that God's trying to bring us through in these situations? And we're going to see that God's granting healing to this man so that his name will be glorified. His name will be honored in this city and, and people will know who Jesus is and that Jesus is the Son of God. Now verses 8 through 34 deal, deal with the controversy. <clears throat> the follow-up, excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. Verses 8 through 34 talk about the controversy. The fallout in the city that re was related to this one man's healing. It affected the leaders. It affected his own family, his neighbors. Everybody goes through a very challenging time because of this healing. But we see the end result is he progresses from knowing this man called Jesus to understanding him as a prophet, to understanding him as a man of God, and then ultimately the Son of God. So let's read verses, nine, or verses 8 through 12. John chapter 9. The neighbors... And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others says, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. 
And so they said to him, then how are your eyes opened? They say, wait, you, you're the guy. You're the beggar guy. Yes, I am. Oh, no, no, you just look like him. He goes, I am that guy. And everybody knew that he was blind. And they say, well, then how are your eyes opened? It says in verse 11, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said, well, where is he then? He said, I don't know. So these neighbors, these friends are clearly affected by this. This is what you would call a notable miracle. Everybody knew what was this guy's situation was. You had, they had probably seen him every day of his life and knew that he was blind. And then the Pharisees start getting involved and they start understanding that this man called Jesus is the same man that they've been trying to get rid of and they will continue to try to get rid of. They proclaim in verse 22 that uh, by, by interrogating his family and so forth, that, that anybody who called Jesus a prophet or a man of God was kicked out of the synagogue, which meant they would lose contact with family and friends. They would lose all the benefits of being in that community, that church, that religious synagogue type community. And so it, it affected his family and friends. They were scared. They, they didn't know what to do. So they were kind of vague when they answered. And later on they say, well, he's of age. Why don't you just go ask him? Because <laughs> they, were, they were put on the spot. It was a challenging thing. But this man's simple confession just said, I don't, I don't know. It's just this man called Jesus. And it's an interesting story because all he does is spit on the ground and make mud. And it's even kind of unbelievable if you're looking at it from the external. So he just says, I don't know. This guy comes up, he puts things, and now I can see. It's, it's amazing. But as he progresses through verses 13 through 15, the town takes this man now to the synagogue and says, look at what ha what's happened. Because Jesus healed him, and they said, now we learn he heals him on the Sabbath day. And now it's a real problem. They're all trying to find Jesus to determine who he was, to, to track him down, because he had made this mud on the Sabbath day and had healed on the Sabbath day. And they weren't doing it because they wanted to know more about Jesus. They were doing it because they wanted to get him in trouble. For, for making this healing on the Sabbath day. So verses 16 and 17, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. They were so absolute about everything, right? Like even the, even the, the disciples at the beginning, well, somebody must have sinned. This guy's sick, right? And they were just, there was, abs everything had to be universal truth. He doesn't keep the Sabbath, so he must not be a, a man of God. How could a man who is a sinner do such signs? He, the guy replies. And there was division amongst them. Well, if he's a sinner, how can he heal somebody? But if he heals them on the Sabbath, then he must not be a man of God. And it was this ridiculous circle of argument. It's like a chicken and an egg, right? Well, if he's a sinner, he must not have healed. But if he healed, then how did he do it on the Sabbath? And it was just going back and forth. So the Pharisees say, you know, he must not be of God because he, he healed on the Sabbath. Others question how, like I said, if he was a sinner, how could he do these miracles? And so they go back to the man, verse 17. What do you say about him? And since he has opened your eyes, and he says, well, he is a prophet. 
He's, he's now progressed into, and it's almost like being a part of this argument and being exposed to this inquisition, if you will, was giving him more resolve. He wasn't backing off. He was getting more bold, emboldened by it. He goes, it was not just this man, Jesus. And as he's hearing their arguments, it's almost like it's solidifying his faith in him. He says, oh, no, wait, yeah, he must be a prophet. This is real. But the Jews don't believe, we know. Verses 18 through 23. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind. They said, well, you must not have been blind. Isn't that crazy? And received his sight until they called his parents, a man of the man, and, and asked them, is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? The unbelief is so strong. They wanted to get the credit away from Jesus, get the credit away from the Lord. They now have to call the parents in and say, you say he's born blind. Well, how does he see now? It's, it's, it's amazing. How, and, and this man who a few hours earlier was blind and now he sees he's got all of this emotion, this joyous feeling, and now he's getting interrogated and, for it. And now his parents are involved. It's, it's, it's amazing. And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And again, verse 22, it says they were afraid because they were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue for anybody who confessed Jesus as the Christ was put out of the synagogue. So that's why they're afraid and they're being kind of cagey here because they don't want to get kicked out. Therefore, his parents said, ask him, he is of age for the second time. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But I do know one thing. Yesterday, I was blind. Today, I can see. He goes right back to the basics. I couldn't see this morning. I can see now. There's no other thing that I need to know, right? It could have easy, been easy for the son to hide his confession or not make such a big deal about it or even back down in the face of controversy because the Pharisees were aggressive, right? We, we know that from other parts of Scripture as well. This was not just to walk up and let's knock on your door. Hey, tell me, tell me what happened. They were, they were aggressive about it They were because they hated Jesus. And it would have been easy just to back off and say, hey, man, I don't want any trouble. Let's just move on. He says, no, 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 you guys. <laughs> I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I do know I can see. And I couldn't before. And through that, he gets a progressive understanding. His faith is strengthened, and he has a, a more understanding of who Jesus was. Because now, at verses 26 through 29, they ask him again to tell the story. Okay, tell us one more time what happened. You know, how, have you ever seen any of those good court or, or police shows where they're interviewing a suspect, and they ask him or her to explain it like 20 times? Because they want to hear consistency. They want to hear that, oh, you said the over here and now you said and or you said it was a can and now you say it was a bottle are you lying then or are you lying now they're always trying to trap people right and they were doing this here and he tells them i told you how many times he really stands firm verse 30 through 33 a great confession of faith here 
Why? The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So his, 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 his insight, his common sense, his logical argument is confounding these guys just by saying, he hears from God. God only hears those who uh, obey him. He's healed me. And if he was not from God, none of these things would have happened. So it's just his thoughtful reply coupled with that wit where he's being kind of sarcastic with them. But he's telling him, look, there's no other way to argue with this. And he's saying, you know, and he's using it to fit the common Jewish belief that God responds in proportion to the righteousness of the person who's asking, right? David says it several times, Psalm 66, 18 through 20. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Also, New Testament, 1 John 3, 21 through 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So he's using a logical argument to explain what has happened, because that's he's trying to get back to the Pharisees and make them understand. If he was a sinner, he would not have been able to heal me. Basically, that's, that's the crux of his argument. I can see... I couldn't before. If this man was a sinner, there's no way that could have been happened. So he must be from God. There's no way around it. So the greatness of the miracle, no one had, he was even going through and saying, we don't have any recordings of anyone being healed from blindness in such a way. So this has never happened before. It has to be from God. And you would think the Pharisees, because they were supposedly logical, would be like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess that does make sense. But how do they reply? Verse 34. It's astounding that they reply this way. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And then they cast him out of the synagogue. The arrogance, the pride of these people. You were born in sin. You were born blind. So you must have sinned. And here you presume to teach us? And they kicked him out. He's cast out of the synagogue. A religious outcast. But he's about to learn that he's in the best possible place he could be. Because now he's going to have another encounter with Jesus. The Jews cast him out and Christ took him in. Right? And we see that over and over and over again. Christ takes in those who've been cast out from other places, cast down, downtrodden, and so forth. <clears throat> That's where Christ lives. That's where Christ abides. He loves to go after those who are downtrodden and cast out and brokenhearted and so forth. Now we come to the confession. 
This section covers verses 45 through, or 35 through 41, concludes the controversy with the Pharisees. The trouble led this man to a final realization that not only is he a man called Jesus, not only is he a prophet, not only is he a man of God, but he is the son of God. The first portion of this story dealt with restoring his physical sight, and now Jesus is going to open his spiritual eyes. Verses 35 through 41, let's read. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answers, Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. For judgment, is for judgment, I came into this world, Jesus says, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, Are we also blind? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So we see a complete transformation. We've come full circle. The guy who couldn't see, now only, not, not only can see physically, but his eyes are spiritually opened to the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And look at how quick that was. Tell me who he is, and I'll believe in him. I'm him. I believe you. When your eyes have been opened that way, and you've experienced an interaction with the Lord Jesus in such a way, okay, I believe you. <laughs> There was no argument. There was no explanation. He says, I'm he. Okay, I believe you. We see how he's grown in a very short period of time to this man, to the prophet, to the man of God, to the son of God. And I was reminded of this verse, Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter unto the full day. This man's growth in light proves this verse to be true. He goes from just having light to being a light to walking in the light, and now he's producing the fruit of having that light within him in just a very short period of time. And he says, Lord, I believe. And I would say the rest of his life is never going to be the same. So he has progressed from being blind physically and spiritually to now understanding Jesus as the Son of God. And at the end of the story, the Pharisees reject Jesus once again and continue in their blindness spiritually. We can go through life and we can come upon times like this where we can feel that way. I don't even know what's happening. Coming at me from left and right and up and down. But when we can reduce it to, I know one thing. Yesterday I couldn't see. Today I can. Sometimes you get, you've got to reduce your whole situation down to one thing. I don't know what's happening everywhere else, but I do know this one thing. God, I couldn't see yesterday and I can today. So what is that one thing for you? I don't know. For this man, it was that. Hey, <laughs> this morning I was blind. Today I can see. That's my one thing I know. That's my rock. That's my, my uh, what do they call it? My Ebenezer, if you will, where they, where they built the remembrance. This is one thing I know. And though everything else around me is chaos, I know this one thing. What's that one thing for you? Hopefully you've got more than one, but maybe 
And sometimes that's the only one thing you can remember. This one thing I know. Hold on to that, because it can be a tremendous strength. And there have been times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, where you're going through a challenge and you're like, oh, man, do I even know the Lord? And I wait, oh, yeah, I remember that one time where I asked something or this happened or this happened. And hold on to those things. Write them down if you don't already. I do know this one thing. So take some time to reflect this morning. This, this story always encourages me because I see this man who would literally, in a matter of a few hours, goes from a beggar to now he's confronting the religious elite and says, I don't care what you guys do to me. And he holds his ground and he's now he's got a re renewed and transformed relationship with Jesus Christ. And he goes on to never be the same. So contemplate that this morning. God, I'm thankful, always, but I'm thankful for this one thing. Don't ever let me forget this one thing. Amen? Father, we thank you so much that you've called us to be in your kingdom. We thank you so much that you are with us every day. And Lord, we know that there are times that challenging situations come. Lord, help us to remember, whatever it is, that one thing that keeps us grounded in knowing that you are with us. You are with us. Your faith is in our heart. And no matter what the world or the enemy throws at us, we have you. We have your love. We have you, your relationship. And we know that you are with us. Help us to remember that, to, to stay grounded in that principal truth that we know that you are always with us and to keep that one thing ever before us. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. Just ask your blessing on the remainder of our week. Those who are traveling, be with them as they are traveling. And those, especially Carolyn tomorrow, Lord, just let your hand be upon her as she goes through the surgery. And just be with her, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Lord bless you. I trust this word was a blessing to you as it was to me. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>